And welcome to this week's edition of the Hammer Time Podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Hammerman. We are on almost every single week, and you can find us on the website called Playmaker Mentality. You can find it on iTunes as well. We talk about sports society and stuff. This week, um, special call-out to a past podcast guest, Jessica Luther, whose book, Unsportsmanlike Conduct, came out yesterday, I believe, or a couple of days ago. I just got it. I can't wait to read it. It's about sexual assault and how football players uh, have engaged with that culture. It's going to be really important, I think. I recommend it to people who want to learn more about a lot of cases that have happened that have sort of fallen under the radar and how just how these things interact in our society. I find it super fascinating. I think it's really important, too. So I recommend that people give it a shot even if it's not a subject that you necessarily like reading about, it's not going to be the most pleasant book, but I think it's going to be an important book. And I know Jessica did an amazing amount of research. And if anyone is going to the book signing in New York on September 28th, I will be there too. So, and Katie Nolan's going to be there as well, which is very exciting. So that's going to be really cool. But this is going to be a shorter episode because we're actually recording this during halftime of the opening kickoff game of the season, Carolina-Denver. Uh, there are a lot of things this week, a lot of logistics, but I wanted to make sure we had this podcast because I have my good friend who actually, congratulations to you, Arif, because you just got a new gig that you can tell the people about, but Arif Hassan is here. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. Yeah, I just got a new gig with uh, 1500 ESPN, a local radio station, obviously, Partners with ESPN, uh, they won't have me on the radio, thankfully. Instead, I'll just be uh, writing columns about, I want to say, four columns every week for them. So, yeah, I'm pretty happy. It's a lot of columns. That's a lot of writing. And I know I, I'm trying to get my writing game back into shape. So, And Arif writes longer than anyone who I know. Your articles are all books, to be honest. I mean, if you publish an anthology of every article you wrote, or at least all the articles that you would want published, because I know there are some articles that you don't like very much. How long right. do you think that anthology would be? How many pages? How many pages? Oh, man. Uh, probably depends. Because a normal novel is like, what, 60,000 words? Uh, uh, more than that, dude. I the, the book that I'm working on is 70K, and I have to add another 20K to it. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, it would, you would def I think over the course of a year, if I don't include the training camp guide that I publish every year, over the course of the year, it would be, uh, probably a novella then. And then over the course, if you do include training camp guide, it's about, uh, uh much more than a novel. I, I think there's probably two novels a year worth of, of published stuff. It makes you think for sure. You, you write more than anyone I know. So. We want to go back to the game when it goes live again, so this is going to be a little bit shorter than an hour. We might sort of jump from place to place a bit, but I wanted a reef on today because it has been a really crazy week for the Vikings. Um, first, of course, you have the Teddy Bridgewater injury, and then shipping out a first-round pick for Sam Bradford. So, Arif, tell me what it's like over there right now. What are people thinking? <laughs> Well, I think that if you had presented this trade to uh, Vikings fans as a possibility, you know, before it happened, because most people weren't, because right, Sam Bradford was the starter, and not many people thought he was, you know, even available on the trade block. Uh, and honestly, I would have thought that he'd be he'd cost more than this. I think that in terms of pure value, you know, the Vikings probably got 
uh, more than he's worth for what they paid. That doesn't mean I like the trade. I think I've been pretty clear about that. Um, but you know, I think if you ask most Vikings fans, would you trade a first round pick and a fourth round pick for Sam Bradford? Uh, you know, right after Teddy Bridgewater's injury, I think most of them would say no. Most of them would say that that's a bad idea. But most Vikings fans that I've interacted with, um, so I don't know if that's like an accurate gauge of of the atmosphere, but most Vikings fans I've interacted with really like the trade. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm not saying they're intellectually dishonest or anything. I think it's just a framing effect, right? Like Spielman says, you know, that this is the trade, and a lot of people trust Spielman, a lot of people trust Zimmer. A lot of people agree with Spielman that this is a team that's built to win, uh, and it can win now. Um, but, uh, and, and you need a better quarterback than Sean Hill, which are all things that I, like, generically agree with. Uh, and so they think that, you know, Bradford gives them the best possible chance. And I do think that Bradford's an underrated quarterback, but underrated doesn't really mean good. Like, those are two different things. Uh, and so a lot of people think that, you know, hey, Bradford, you know, he's, he's had a bad sporting cast. You know, he's, he was, you know, first round pick for a reason. He's very smart. He's got a great arm, better arm than Teddy. Uh, and, you know, maybe he has the ability to, to take this team to uh, the playoffs again. And, you know, once you're in the playoffs, who knows? So that's that's kind of the feeling. It was a little more chaotic when the trade happened, but it's kind of settled down. Uh, and, and people have mostly moved on from the story, you know, like, hey, this happened. Is it a good idea? And now they're sort of on to, like, what happens now, right? Like, do you, do you start Sean Hill at Tennessee? If you do, when do you start Sam Bradford? Is it week three, week four? Is it after the bye? You know, that sort of stuff. I understand why Vikings fans are talking themselves into the trade. I actually understand why the Vikings might not have been that hesitant to give up a first-round pick, especially I think it's going to be a really late first-round pick, because they've had a lot of first-round picks recently. I mean, you had that draft where you had two with Barr and Bridgewater. Uh, you had a draft where you had three pretty recently where you got Xavier Rhodes in that class, although... Cordero Patterson was there, too, and he ended up not being very good. Sharif Floyd ended up being okay, right? He's still on the up and up, so I, I think... Yeah, and I think, if you, I think if you took away the injury concerns about Floyd, because he's missed games every year, I think if you took away his injury concerns, he'd be a top-five defensive tackle, but you have to price those into like, the return you got on your pick. I totally agree with that, but I think that when you had a lot of talent and you've accumulated a lot over the past couple of years... You're a little bit more willing to take a risk, especially when you think your team's really close and you have a window and you want to hit that window. So I actually understand why the Vikings made the trade. That being said, Sam Bradford is not a good quarterback, and I think that you would have gotten a similar caliber quarterback if you had just waited for Mark Sanchez to get cut. I really don't think that there's that much difference between Sam Bradford and Mark Sanchez. I know that maybe Sanchez regressed over the past year or something happened, but when Sanchez was in Philadelphia, he was also as capable to me as Bradford ended up being in Philadelphia. And I just really don't necessarily see the uh, difference there. And then you give up all that value, and then that's where it doesn't really make sense to me. The funny thing, though, is that there's a lot of hype about Kaepernick maybe being beloved by the Vikings. There was one reporter, I think, who was saying that. Not really. It's a bit. It's a uh, – so Royce is a, is a columnist over uh, with the Star Tribune. He's also with 1500 ESPN. What's his name? Uh, uh, Royce. Uh, his first name is Patrick, so it's Patrick Royce. Uh, and he tweeted it out. It's a joke. It's not a thing that actually happened. Uh, okay. And it, it caught a little bit too much fire outside of the Vikings sphere. So people on Vikings Twitter know who Royce is, uh, and he's a troll. 
Uh, but so he tweeted that out uh, that they were going to trade Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, but that's that's not actually genuinely true. Okay, well that's good to know. I didn't know that. So sounds good to me. I mean, the thing that really jumps the thing that really jumped out to me though, and this is being totally serious, is how after what happened to Teddy happened, the entire team it, it seemed like everyone was destroyed, and to me, like coming into that draft. People thought that he wasn't loud enough to be a leader. People thought he couldn't command a locker room. And clearly to me, and I wonder if you agree with me, he has command of that Minnesota locker room. Oh, there's no question. And I think, you know, we obviously saw more evidence of it after, uh, you know, something that we hoped, you know, wouldn't happen right after the knee injury. Um, but, uh, yeah, we saw a ton of evidence that he had an enormous amount of respect in the locker room. And then, of course, you know, reporters are talking about Teddy's impact on the locker room. And it certainly seems like it's very clear, uh, you know, how important Teddy is to that locker room. Uh, and so, yeah, no, he's definitely, um, you know, got control of, of the locker room as a quarterback. He definitely has the respect of the players. And uh, even sort of in the statement that he released, which he wrote, not like a PR staff, uh, but, you know, in the statement that he released, you can just kind of, feel it's difficult to like explain especially because it's such like a wibbly wobbly concept like leadership or whatever but in the statement that he released you can just kind of feel um you know how how much of a leader he is how inspiring he can be uh and so uh yeah you can revisit those um you know, face of the franchise takes that people had and, and look back on them with disdain and stuff like that and really it's just it's nice to see that like you know, people can embrace multiple styles of leadership, and the multiple styles of leadership can be, you know, extraordinarily effective. Yeah, I, I think that that's something that there are a couple of quarterbacks who are really emblematic of that, not by words, but indeed style of leadership. And Mariota's one, Teddy Bridgewater's one, and just be lucky that you got your quarterback in 2014 or 2015, because the 2016 quarterbacks don't look very good right now which is something that a lot of us could have told you, but I guess we'll see what happens when Carson Wentz starts because he's going to be starting this week. So we'll get an idea of that experiment's beginnings. Now with Teddy gone, what are your realistic expectations for the Vikings in the NFC North and then also in the NFC in general? Well, so uh, if you calibrate them to like what Vegas's expectations are, and I don't mean the Lions, I mean how the betters have interpreted the Lions, um, I thought that, generally speaking, the Vikings were being underrated by casinos, and betters agreed they had the Vikings at 9.5 wins, and betters were pounding the over. So they probably thought it was closer to 10 wins, uh, which I think was an accurate representation of who the Vikings were. 11 wins last year, but maybe a little bit lucky, uh, but maybe 10 wins this year with a slightly tougher schedule. Uh, but without Teddy, you know, uh, they dropped to 8 wins, and then they moved back up to 9.5 wins, but betters are taking the under on 9.5. Uh, which means that, you know, basically that, that, you know, maybe Sam Bradford added a win over Sean Hill. Uh, according to Vegas, it doesn't mean like that's obviously the truth or anything like that, and they get a lot wrong. But uh, I kind of agree that the Vikings are in between an 8-8 eight and, eight and a 9-7 and seven team. Um, my expectations are that, you know, the defense will, will get better, and it's a good defense, but I think that the defense was kind of overrated, which is like a difficult thing to say as a Vikings fan, and uh, and it's not something I expect Vikings fans would take well. Uh, but I think it was kind of overrated last year, and I think, uh, you know, one of the things that helps the defense a lot is the low number of possessions the Vikings had. I believe they were 
they, they had the fewest possessions in the NFL, which means that they allowed the fewest possessions in the NFL as well, which means they ranked top five in points. But in points per drive, they were a little bit lower, around number 10. But it's still fundamentally a good defense, especially when those players are healthy. You know, those games that involved Joseph uh, were pretty bad. The games that Harrison Smith are pretty bad. And when you have both of those players in there, it can be a top-five defense, and I think it was getting better. So I expect the Vikings to, to perform at that level. Uh, and uh, and I think that defense will keep the Vikings in a lot of games. But I think that a lot of the games that the Vikings will be playing this year, it's going to take more than just a stout defense uh, because, you know, the, the danger of relying on your defense to win games for you, which and I know we saw, you know, the Broncos do. We've seen, you know, the Seahawks do it to some extent, although they've got a great quarterback. Uh, the danger is that, you know, one mistake, you know, puts you in a hole, and a great offense – they can make one or two mistakes and, and still dig themselves out. A great defense, if they make one or two mistakes and they don't have a good offense, they have a problem. So I think that there's some volatility in trusting the defense. And I think that without that offense, I think that the Vikings are in a lot of trouble. So I expect maybe uh, maybe 400 rushing attempts from the team. Uh, and between Jarek McKinnon and Adrian Peterson, maybe that's 75 runs from McKinnon. Maybe it's you know uh, 325 from, from Peterson. A lot of runs, right? And I think that that's the kind of offense that they want to showcase and, and, and hold. But um, I, I don't know if that's going to be effective enough to put the Vikings over the 8-8 eight and eight, uh, threshold. So they might be an above-average team, but I think with their schedule and with the way the NFL works, uh, it could be difficult to, to eke out uh, a wild card. My prediction was officially that the Vikings would make the wild card race interesting but not make it. Yeah, the team that jumps out to me that could overtake them is Tampa. I really like them this year. I think that they have the guns on offense and a really good defense, a little bit of underrated defense. So I think that that could be a team that jumps in. I actually like Detroit in your division, too. I think that they're a little bit underrated uh, with Jim Bob Cooter calling the plays. I think they got better last year. And I'd like and the, Amir the second Abdullah. Half of the, off, uh, the second half of the year yes. for offense for Detroit was really good. Yes. Uh, under Jim Bob Cooter, it was a great offense. Totally agreed. So the game's back on now because halftime is not long enough. I have two more quick questions. We're going to zoom through society and stuff. We're going to do one question per. This is going to be the quickest podcast ever. If you like it, if you want more quick podcasts like this, let me know because I'm, I mean, I'm down to change up the format. People really want it. But we talked about Colin Kaepernick a little bit last week. Brandon Marshall, linebacker on Denver, kneeled tonight. First of all, do you think more players are going to do it? I personally think that they will, but do you think that? And second of all, what is going to be the point where there is an actual conflict and the league does something about this? Do you think that they're going to start finding players? Both teams have stood behind the players so far. The Niners and the Broncos have stood behind their players. Uh, but what do you think the situation is going to end up resulting in? Uh, I think that more players will do it. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be like a cascade of players. But I think that more players will do it. Uh, and uh, I don't think the league will ever get to the point where it's going to find players, especially because the league already uh, had a statement about it after uh, after Florida pointed out that Kaepernick sat, and they had a statement that they wouldn't find players. Uh, the discussion with Nate Boyer to turn the sitting into kneeling as a form of respect, but to still indicate that there's a protest, uh, I think um, – I don't know if it resolved concerns, but it definitely allows – uh, players like Kaepernick and players like Brandon Marshall and well, I think Jeremy Lane of the Seahawks. I think it allows them to provide defense against, you know, uh, an argument that they should be fined, right, because they had a discussion with somebody who cares a lot about showing respect for the flag and the national anthem, uh, and they decided on a compromise because, you know, this form of protest to them was very powerful and very important to them. Uh, and I think that the league would be in a bad spot if it fined players. I think that um, – 
it's not going to create like a firestorm. And I think that he, I don't know if the league thinks this because the league is very bad at thinking in this way, but if the league just lets it happen, uh, you're going to have this discussion. You're going to have, you know, a thing happen maybe for a couple of weeks and then it's going to die down. Uh, and that's, you know, not because the issues are going away and it's not because the statements aren't powerful and it's not because of any of the things, except it's not interesting to, to print the same story again and again. Uh, now, if more players do it every week, then you've got a story that builds and it's not really going to die down. But I'm not sure that happens. And so I think that if the league leaves it alone, the controversy will resolve itself and they don't have to do anything that makes them look bad or good, which will make them look good. Uh, and I think that, uh, yeah, and I think that uh, more players will do it, but not a ton more because, uh, and I actually, I'm, I find it surprising that so many people agree with the argument that this shows disrespect to the flag uh, because it intuitively is not an argument that makes sense to me, but so many people buy this argument, including, you know, players from a diversity of backgrounds uh, that I don't think too many players will do it, but a lot of players definitely sympathize with it. Finally, super quick. I know that you like Pokemon and a lot of Sun and Moon stuff is coming out. Have you been checking up on any of it? Have you seen any of the new forms at all? Or have you sort of been out of the loop because you've been in football mode? I've been out of the loop uh, because I'm in football mode. Uh, someone is definitely, like, sending me stuff about Sun and Moon. Uh, but I haven't had the time to, like, look on all of it. Um, you know, there's there's been a complaint, right, uh, about, like, new Pokemon in general. Like, oh, these new Pokemon are so uncreative and stuff like that. And I know that the response is, like, have you looked at the original 150? Some of them are not very creative at all. That was a butterfly. Um, I, I think that both arguments are kind of true. I think that they've become, like, less interesting and creative. Uh, and I do think that, you know, there were some, like, liberties taken with the original 150 that people are kind of, like, holding up because of nostalgia. But I do think it was just just a better set of Pokemon from, like, a conceptual framework. Uh, and I think that from what I've seen of Sun and Moon, I think it avoids that problem uh, of the new Pokemon that are coming out. So... I'm kind of excited about it. I haven't really played that many, you know, Gen 3, Gen 4, Gen 5. Although Gen 3, I guess that's supposed to be the best, right? Um, Gen 2, I'm I going... think. Gen 2? Okay. That's my personal uh, you, favorite. You, you might be in the minority, but uh, <laughs> Maybe. I, I really enjoy Gen 2. So um, certainly I don't think that that's a bad take. But I'm really excited to, uh, to play Sun and Moon because I think I'll actually do that, which I, I don't have a DS. I usually use emulators. Uh, whoops. Uh, but, uh, but I think, you know, got a new job and there's really only two things that I spend money on, uh, that are like extravagances and it's like fancy food and technology. And this counts as technology because I love games. So got a new job, probably going to get a DS. Maybe I'm going to get one of the, what is it? A DS2? It's like a 2D DS or whatever. Yeah, that's what I have. Uh, yeah. And then I'll get Sun and Moon. So, you know, this will be the last question because you say you're, you're a fancy food guy. You get to make three food takes to end off the show. One is a genre or a cuisine that you personally find underrated. People don't have it enough and you think it's really good. Second, a genre of cuisine that you find overrated. Like if you've had one, you've had them all. And three, one restaurant, and it can be in Minnesota. You know, there are Minnesotans who listen to this, so they might appreciate it. Or forever in Minnesota or, or North Dakota or wherever. Um, one Really good restaurant that you personally would recommend to anybody? To anybody? Oh, uh, the to anybody thing makes it a little bit more difficult because I like, like, there's like some very like 
highfalutin, too full of itself food that I nonetheless enjoy, but I wouldn't recommend it to everyone. Um, I'm going to start with that question first, though, because it's just on my mind. Uh, there's a new restaurant, um, or not new, but it's like sort of new, uh, in the Twin Cities called uh, the Strip Club, uh, which is you know referenced to New York Strip and also a reference to strip clubs. Um, but it's just genuinely just extremely good. So I recommend that to people in the cities. I was surprised at, at how reasonable the price was for how good the food is. Uh, and, and by that, I mean, like, I have had some extraordinarily expensive food, most of it paid for. I, don't, I can't really afford it. But uh, for the most part, I disagree with people who think that, like, you know, really, really expensive food is not worth it and that you don't get what you pay for. Um, I've had some really, you know, standout food. Now, while I wouldn't necessarily put it in sort of the top class, it was extremely good food for a very reasonable price. So I definitely recommend the strip club. Um, but the other restaurant that is full of itself, that is still worth it, is Piccolo. And you just have to buy the tasting menu. You get two bites for a plate. Um, so, you know, people complain about small food and stuff like that. You get two bites a plate, uh, and you're only going to get a full, me- full meal if you get the full tasting menu. But I love it. Um, but you just have to know that it's kind of full of itself. Um, the cuisine that I think is uh, overrated is probably Italian. I don't know how many people... Uh, you know, rate Italian food that highly. It's not like, you know, haute cuisine or anything like that to a lot of people, but it's still, you know, extremely, you know, well-respected cuisine. And I think that it's it's not that unique or interesting. I've had really good Italian food, some of the best food I've had as Italian, but I think that as a cuisine and as a genre, it's become, you know, watered down and not that interesting. Uh, I will make this caveat, though. Italian food that is... Uh, Italian-American is really more what I'm talking about, and I don't mean Americanized because I think that that's like a bad connotation. I think Italian-American food is its own genre that people just call Italian. You know, it emerged from New York and New Jersey. That's really what I'm talking about. Italian food in Italy, incredible Uh, and different, definitely different. So um, that's my take there. Uh, Underrated cuisine, you know, probably Thai food is really highly rated by people. But I still like it more than most people. So I might I might say that. Um, just the food in the region in general. So I don't actually like Indian food because I've had just too much of it in my life. <laughs> but uh, – which is not surprising. Um, but I do like a lot of the food from the region. So like Tibetan and Nepalese food. I can't tell the difference between the two, but most restaurants that have one will say they have the other anyway. Uh, that's incredible to me. Uh, you know, Cambodian food uh, is is kind of like a mix between Vietnamese and Thai and Bengali food, and that's really good to me. Uh, so, food from that region is definitely just worth exploring. All th- I, I, got, I think I got all three of those questions. Yeah, right? you did. You you nailed all three of those questions. So both those restaurants, by the way, are in Minneapolis. Yeah. Oh, so next time you're in Minneapolis, you have to go to the Strip Club in Piccolo because apparently they're really really good. I'm actually looking at Piccolo's menu right now, and it looks amazing. So. Some point yeah, I'll go it's there. Super worth it. You just have to like get out of your head like that these that these are people who uh, want to underserve your food and are too fancy and it's like because they really take a lot of pride in what they produce and it's just incredible food. But you just have to know, hey, you have to buy all the dishes on the menu or it's every other dish I think because there's two tasting menus. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and you're only going to get two bites per plate, so it's it, it's extremely expensive. But. Uh, it's it's really worth it. Yeah, I mean, I think in terms of food takes, you were pretty spot on. I mean, I love Italian food, but I think it mostly tastes the same from place to place. Sometimes you'll find, like, 
amazing Italian food and then it's done. Um, like I think in Federal Hill and Providence has some amazing Italian food and like quality Italian in New York is amazing Italian food, but that isn't everywhere. That's not the norm. And then I, I mean, I love Indian food, but Thai food's okay to me. Sometimes I just find it's like way too hot and it overwhelms the taste for me for everything else. My underrated I think food. That's a, I think that's a market problem. I think a lot of people who, who make Thai food for restaurants know that most people who go to Thai restaurants want hot food. Uh, like, I mean, if you can just navigate your way around that, it's really hard to navigate around. But I think that's a market problem, not like a Thai food problem, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think in terms of, like, underrated food that I personally really like, I have recently gotten super into Caribbean food and Jamaican food in particular. I think it's just the best. And also, this isn't Jamaican Honduras food. Um, there's a pupusa shop that I found near a bar I like to go to in Brooklyn, and it's amazing. Like, that... A pupusa, if you don't know, is sort of like a, um, like a like a big fluffy thing, and you put meat in it, and you eat it, and it's just really good. It's the Honduran sandwich, and I recommend trying it if you haven't. It's sort of like a, it's kind of like an arepa. That's probably the best oh, way I could describe delicious. it. And I, so actually, that's a thing that we should have. That's a thing we should have discussed because I think that. Ethnic sandwiches, like cuisine sandwiches, and, and like every ethnicity, right? Because I think the the South has like some incredible, um, has some incredible sandwiches. But I like I love I love bun mis, I love cubanos, oh, bun I love arepas. Like I love sandwiches. One thing I don't I don't like tortas. Yeah. For some reason, I'm not a huge torta guy. It's just a little bit. It's a little much for me, and. Every time I have it, like, I try to like it, and it's just a little bit too much. I need to find the right torta people, though. I always tend to go for a uh, taco if I have the option to have some Is sort of... sandwich? That's uh, a very just, good just, question. Just open no, no, I opened the door. And you know what? I don't think a taco is a sandwich. I think that a taco is a taco. You don't have the second piece of bread. So it doesn't come all the way around. It's open face. So no I don't think. Or sandwiches. I don't think. I'm, it, I'm just I'm not arguing. I'm just clarifying. I don't think an open face sandwich is a sandwich. I okay, think that what we I, call open face sandwiches was, are not sandwiches. I was gonna add gyro to my list of like world cuisine sandwiches. I mean, I would have gotten back. Well, they're delicious. They're delicious, they but that's not a sandwich. Like I think the definition of a sandwich to me. Is something that isn't. It has to be closed. It's not open face. It has to have two slices of bread. It can't all be one, and it has to have that construction of the bread, the thing in the middle, and the bread. Done. That's a sandwich. A hot dog is not a sandwich. A taco is not a sandwich. A gear is not a sandwich. Wait, if, a, if a taco, if, if a hot dog is disconnected, if the bread is disconnected, is it a sandwich? Hot dogs open face. Depends how you eat the hot right. dog. But if the, but if the bread is disconnected, it surrounds the meat. If the bread is disconnected, it's still open face though. Unless if you eat the hot dog like a sandwich, you're eating the hot dog like a sandwich. That isn't how the hot dog is supposed to be eaten. Oh, you know, okay, that's fair. Yeah, I get it. So I didn't mean to have the hot dog sandwich debate, but 
Oh, it's always the right time to have a hot dog sandwich debate. Yes, you are a debate master, so I I know (laughs) not to debate with you on too many things, but it's always a good time for the hot dog sandwich debate. Anyway, yeah, the game's already restarted, and we just spent a good long time talking about things, but this was a quicker Hammer Time pod, and we're going to hit the 30-minute mark. I think 30 minutes is a good podcast stopping point, so Arif, thank you for coming on, and... Can't wait to read the rest of your work once it goes up on ESPN. All right, thank you. Great, and that's this week's Hammer Time Podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Hammerman. We'll be back next week with Sports Society and Stuff. Talk to you later.